everybody. Welcome to the Tech Analyst Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Shrout, Principal Analyst at Shrout Research, joined by my friend uh, Patrick Moorhead, Principal Analyst at More Insights and Strategy. Patrick, good to see you. Ryan, great to see you. Gosh, typically we're doing this over Skype, but we are actually in the same place. This is great. In the same place, probably with planes and helicopters flying over. But, exactly. uh, you know, we've got a lot to talk about, so let's go ahead and jump into it in limited time frame. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Google Cloud Next. You actually went out to that conference and you were able to get a little sense of uh, what their what their cloud strategy was going to be for a while. Yeah, so Google Cloud Next is targeted at enterprises. This isn't the consumer area. This is... Uh, no Android very, news, none of that stuff. A, a little. There is a little bit of Android news related to enterprises, but it's all about the business person and not about the consumer. Uh, they're really trying to. Google's really trying to compete better with uh, Azure, Office 365, uh, AWS, uh, all these types of services. So, uh, a, I'll just hit the highlights here. I mean, gosh, yeah. there were over a hundred announcements, and we don't have <laughs> ten hours, so I'll blow through these. Uh, on the cloud side, the biggest thing, biggest announcement to me was called GKE on on prem. So it was basically uh, a Kubernetes service that an enterprise can actually run on their own infrastructure, okay? And as you know, because we follow this so closely, one of the biggest uh, things everybody's talking about is is this notion of hybrid cloud. I'm gonna run some cloud on-prem, I'm gonna run some cloud uh, in the public cloud. Uh, Azure Stack has a full solution for that, but so far, uh, neither AWS or or Google came out with something. So Hmm. this is essentially their first uh, on-prem attempt. Um, Google also came out with some AI announcements. Uh, one was AutoML, which is kind of in between uh, do-it-yourself and, and, and a complete and a feed that you can't uh, 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 you can't change. Okay? okay, it's kind of in between there. Uh, good feedback on that. Uh, G Suite. You know, and this competes with Office 365 and 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 also with uh, Slack. Right. Uh, not a whole lot of updates, but they were nice. They're adding grammar features. They're adding uh, kind of this notion of autocomplete, uh, where it knows what you're going to type before you want to type it based on they kind of have who something like, interacted with. They have that in your in their mobile app, Gmail app, right now. Yeah, they right? have auto kind of reply. Kind of auto reply, and this is actually while you're typing. Oh, really? Okay. Right. Mm. Yeah, and and the one one reason I'm excited about the grammar portion is that you know Grammarly doesn't work with with Doc which is a big yeah. bummer uh, and, and and I think uh, this is good but nothing to me that changes the competitive plane between this and Office 365 uh, Google talked more about you know more alpha cloud TPU which again is kind of annoying alpha state is in like before beta before final release that, that's exactly okay. right and, yeah. and you know I still wonder if this is an engineering project looking for justification, uh, a marketing project to say why my cloud is better, because I did get an answer on this question, which was, hey, and this is an engineer answering this, and it was on the record, hey, what percentage of your machine learning and deep learning are you doing on TPUs versus GPUs? And they said 10% TPU and 90% GPU. But they did say on the latency where latency matters, like things that are hop- happening automatically, they're trying to architect for TPU. And we've heard this argument uh, on ASICs and uh, for inference, of mm-hmm. course. 
uh, and uh, on even FPGAs on why you uh, would, would use that. But anyways, I thought that was interesting. I'm just kind of tired, tired of alpha announcements uh, on TPUs. Fair. Uh, and finally, um, in a very similar fashion to NVIDIA uh, uh, with uh, Jetson and Microsoft mm. with Project Brainwave, uh, Google is bringing the TPU to the edge. Okay. Okay. And and I think that that's that's big because what we have aligned here are these ecosystems, a very large ecosystems that are going all the way to the public cloud and all the way to the edge and owning every step uh, uh, in between. And and I think it's it's going to pose a really interesting customer challenge, which yeah. says, do I want to go all in on one on, on one, one company? Platform. Yeah. Right. And there was a lot of discussion about the next lock-in. Obviously, that's not Google's discussion, but it was the analyst discussion on, hey, wait a second, I was locked into IBM for 30 years, uh, and and why am I going to go and do this? So, really interesting, although I I think it is very valuable if you want the easy button, but but also bringing hardware down on the edge. Again, very similar to Project Brainwave on the edge that are FPGAs. Uh, Very similar to what NVIDIA is doing with Jetson, do, uh, do we edge. believe that Google has the capacity to bring TPU to that large of a market, even if it wanted to? Like, it doesn't really seem like the th- kind of thing they would do. Would would totally dedicate themselves to hardware in that way to to do cloud to edge design. It would almost feel like there would have to be multiple players in there. Well, I want to see. Well, I would want to see multiple players, and I'd like to see a GPU in there. Uh, you know, I, I don't. You know, I'd like to see an FPGA in there as well. I, I think heterogeneous computing. It's hard to pick a winner that will be there for twenty years. Because yeah. that's how long these IoT devices are going to be installed. Kind of crazy to think about. One of the other things that came out of Google Cloud Next was actually with NVIDIA. You talked about TPU yeah. versus GPU balance. NVIDIA was very hard on making sure people knew that. Google was going to talk about using the Tesla P4, which is a which is a Pascal GPU. It's not like uh, it's not a new fancy three thousand, eight thousand dollar part. This is much more modest, but it's uh, part of Nvidia's drive into inference, right? So they're known for their dominance, kind of in the in the training space, right, where the GPUs are used for all that. Uh, but they wanted to show that. They have just as strong a portfolio uh, for inference in that Google Cloud. Even though they have the TPU, they're going to implement these for, you know, uh, image recognition or natural language uh, algorithms and those types of things. So it was an interesting play, both from NVIDIA and from Google. Google is saying, you know, hey, look, we understand 90% of that is still GPU. We're going to be doing this for a long time, maybe forever. Uh, and NVIDIA wanting to say, hey, we're, we're more than just training. Because training is a is a huge job, but it's kind of a one-time job, right? And, and it's the inference as you build up customer bases and you extend these applications out to the edge, or even if they're all cloud-based, um, the inference is really where the, the, the long-term wide range, huge audience compute purchases are, are going to come from. It is, and there's a lot of competition, a lot more competition in the inference market uh, as well. I mean, uh, NVIDIA pretty much has a lock on training in the data center yeah. right now, um, but it is a, a an even bigger opportunity for NVIDIA to get, to get entrenched on inference. Yeah. 
There's uh, quite a bit of Qualcomm stuff for us to get to. Uh, it was a busy week for them over the last two. First, let's talk about um, at their earnings call, they officially announced that they had canceled the Qualcomm NXP merger uh, or attempt at, at, uh, at acquiring them. Um, this is not something they can go back on. They've already paid their $2 billion fee. They have withdrawn their requests into the um, from all the, the regulatory bodies. This is kind of a done thing. If they wanted to start it over, it would be literally starting from scratch again. Um, it's kind of interesting that this was a, a Qualcomm-created deadline as opposed to any particular regulatory body, you know, saying, hey, this is going to time out. They were waiting on China. China was the last of, what, nine, I believe, regulatory bodies to approve. That's right. Everybody else had had approved it, and everybody else had approved it almost a year ago. So it was Seoul, China, uh, sitting there, uh, not not approving it. By the way, uh, can you imagine being the person... Uh, sending that two billion dollar check is that like get the wire transfer Bank of button. America bill pay? Hope you go to Western, Western Union or something. Are there like enough that? zeros? Okay. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it was interesting, and and you know, I was initially surprised by the quick, uh, decisive nature of it, but then again, uncertainty has been the biggest drag on on the Qualcomm stock, yeah. and also the uncertainty to employees. So you know, and this this answered so many different pieces of, of, of the uncertainty, growth versus NXP, uh, even their earnings highlighted uh, uh, success in their licensing business and, and clarity getting that, about their licensing Getting the business. not Apple major player back into the fold making payments in the licensing deal. Oh, you mean the unnamed uh, Huawei? The unnamed Huawei. Okay. I don't know. I don't understand why, why they refuse <laughs> to do that, but yes, it's clearly Huawei, but the unnamed company that is not Apple. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, calling out your uh, customers for not paying bills. I guess that's not not kosher yeah, yeah yeah it's okay but it, it did give the company the opportunity to reinforce hey nxp was a big growth opportunity but we're growing a heck of a lot more and when you look at uh what they disclosed with automotive iot mm-hmm. wi-fi uh, rf and and even uh, ac windows acpcs yep. uh it is it is impressive i mean we're looking at deep double digit if not doubling those those businesses and i think the big question for me it, I, so I do think they're going to have to make some acquisitions, some small ones. Okay. Uh, I don't feel like they're represented enough in the IoT distribution channels, okay. which was a huge thing that um, that NXP brought. And I think they they need a big core machine learning solution for automotive that that NXP did have. Right. Uh, so there is going to be a, a lot more work to do. But um, gosh, I mean, I wrote an article almost six months ago uh, 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 talking uh, uh, about this potential. So I feel a bit vindicated. You're right about the stability. Um, If you look at starting late last year where they had the Broadcom thing, all the while NXP had started before that. Uh, Broadcom completes. Um, You know, that that gets pushed out of the way. The NXP deal now hangs over their head. There's no more excuses for Qualcomm at this point, right? They they know their direction. They know what they're they're going to be. Um, I don't think that there's somebody out on the wings waiting to try another acquisition on them. I don't think there's a giant merger or acquisition that they're going to try. I think you're right. It would be something small. Well, and even on the antitrust, uh, as we saw in China, Mm -hmm. they did pass the gauntlet and they had to pay a fine. But China didn't ask them 
to change their fundamentally licensing yeah. structure. So, uh, you know, they have to go through the gauntlet in Europe, United States. Uh, yeah. So they're not out of the clear yet, but I think that is a good sign mm-hmm. for that. And quite frankly, that Apple is the only remaining licensee who's who's objecting uh, at this point. Yeah. It does, it does create an interesting if, – if you look at them 20 months ago uh, and realize what a totally different company Qualcomm is than they were 20 months ago when, they, when the NXP deal was kind of started, when that ball started rolling. Uh, you, we already talked about kind of the automotive sections, the, five, the, the networking, the, the IoT. These were areas that, that uh, were going to be accelerated tremendously by NXP. Uh, but Qualcomm has proven or showing now that they are going to go after those markets without them. Yeah. It, By the way, one it of the, would have been a big deal had this gone through. I, uh, I liked but it's the not, combination. It got them it to did. growth quicker. It was massive. Yeah. Uh, the final thing I, I, I love the nugget that uh, Cristiano Amon, uh, Qualcomm's president, uh, floated out there. Um, he talked about how happy he was with five G, as you would expect. It's accelerating, but he said. I can say that all of our Snapdragon 800 OEMs today are claiming to launch 5G device smartphones in 2019. Every one of them. So think of every Android maker except for Huawei, okay? Uh, And then obviously Apple uh, uh, will have 5G in 2019. Yeah. It's pretty impressive, or could be. Uh, Also coming out from from the Qualcomm earnings was that Qualcomm basically said, hey, we understand now at this point that the next generation Apple iPhones will not split between Intel and Qualcomm. They will go exclusively to Intel modem technology. Uh, I think that's something that most people saw happening, right? This is something that we understood was going to occur. This, there's been you go from Qualcomm to Qualcomm and Intel to a little bit more Intel to all Intel. Well, to me, it was and it's black their and leveraging white. thing. It's like uh, Qualcomm had CDMA, sorry, Intel had CDMA in this product, but didn't have it in the other. So right. this clearly aligns with that CDMA product. And, and by the way, th- this wasn't even news. Uh, back in January at CES, uh, Cristiano got in front of all the analysts in the press and the financial analysts and talked about al- already financialing zeroing out Qualcomm. I wrote right. the article in Forbes on January 17th that, that he, they already zeroed him out. So this is not new news to me. I wonder – I think back then maybe I and others too had assumed that they were just doing that from a, a, a need to kind of – let, let's assume that this happens, right? Not that they were confirming anything. That let, yeah. let's, let's, let's make this worst case type of deal. Now they're there. But what does this now do for Qualcomm? It gives them the ability to, to do some things. One, uncertainty, again, that's gone, right? Now we have certainty. Does it, right. does it suck for them that they're going to lose this, this money? Absolutely it does. Uh, but now there's no, there's no questions hanging over the financial markets. Um, also, I think it gives them a little bit more leverage in their battle against uh, Apple in all of the legal disputes. Right now, they can be a little bit more outgoing in their talk about Apple. They don't say an unnamed company or the, the company we're in <laughs> right. a legal dispute with. Right, they can go out there and say Apple because they're not worried about pissing off a customer anymore. That's that day is is past. So um, it, it gives them uh, a, a little bit more strength and effort there. Uh, so changes in messaging, all that stuff is, is definitely going to occur. By the way, it, it also gives Intel the ability to start maybe ratcheting up their, their prices. Intel doesn't break out uh, 
how how that the modem group actually does but we do yeah. know that two years ago they were losing four billion dollars a year and then they narrowed that loss down to 3.8 billion um, it's interesting to see what's going to happen to pricing now that Intel knows that that Qualcomm is, is out of the running yeah now that Apple is going to be dependent on them for that product that's right and yeah. I do think you know I do think competition is good mm-hmm. uh, right now so we have Intel Huawei, uh, Samsung, uh, obviously Qualcomm, mm-hmm. and MediaTek, kind of in the in the running for uh, franchise modems. Yep. This is an interesting uh, lead then into the other Qualcomm story was that uh, they published they published a blog, and Ookla published data uh, speed test results essentially, looking at. Uh, Connectivity and performance leadership in today's networks, 4G LTE, uh, for what was the comparison? The exact comparison was Android handsets, the Android Intel Snapdragon modems. 845, yeah, oh, Snapdragon sorry, sorry. 845 devices versus non-Android Intel-powered devices, which is obviously Intel modem-based iPhones. Uh, and it's an interesting comparison to look at speed tests. Before we get into some of the specifics on that, uh, it's worth noting that, you know, I, I did kind of wonder, it's like, why didn't you just do the Qualcomm modem iPhones versus the Intel modem iPhones? And the answer is there's just not enough data of that, right? So if you, you know, if you look at T-Mobile and AT&T devices, those are GSM, those are all Intel-based iPhones, and then you could put an unlocked iPhone onto that onto those networks, but right. there's not a whole lot of those, and they're talking about a million tests here, which is a huge data set, which is great. That's what you want for something that is, you know, I think justifiably saying imprecise, right? You know, the speed tests and network testing is very difficult to do reliably in a non-contained environment. Uh, but by saying, hey, we're doing 500,000 or so on AT and T and 500,000 or right. so on T-Mobile, gives the results a ton of validity in that regard. And you're seeing some stuff like. Uh, uh, 103 was it 53? No, 53 percent faster typical download speeds for the Qualcomm devices, and 103 percent faster speeds in what they are considering worst case scenarios. And that's something that people don't fully understand that, that this technology, particularly um, the 4x4 MIMO, uh, helps you on the edge. Yeah. In being in a in a in a really bad area, and whether it's on a plane, in a building. Uh, I feel like I find myself in more situations where I have lo- less bars than I have full bars. Right. Yes. And, and so typical, uh, I think they said they took away the bottom 25% and the low and the highest 25% of results and then took a, a median there. Uh, and then for worst case, it was just basically the bottom 10% of results. And again, once you take into account that this was a million tests taken over a span of what was it Q2 uh, of That's this right. that just ended in June. So it's very recent that this is a good indicator of what consumers are actually seeing. And 53% better download speeds and and 103% at the edge. And then also the upload speeds were better as well. All of this is real-world value that is – I kind of feel for Qualcomm in this regard because it's really hard to market that. It's really hard to say – Trust me, this is the case. Now, I know Samsung has tried to do this. Just started to do it. Yeah, and they need to do more, but I think you and I both agree on that. That's right. And, you know, I, I wanna I don't wanna have sour grapes here that says, Hey, why wasn't this done a year ago? But I'll say, why wasn't this done a year ago? 
Um, there's been absolutely no uh, implications for people using uh, slower modems mm-hmm. or having slower performance. And, yeah. and therefore, the industry needs to get their collective act together to actually make 5G mean something. This is why I'm not Babe Ruthing the whole notion of 5G is going to be totally different and everybody, and if you don't have a 5G phone, you're going to be smoked, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is clear evidence. And while I do know there is a absolute black and white difference between the word 5G and the word 4G, uh, leaving it up to the carriers is always scary because what did they do with LTE Advanced? They screwed that up too. They took it to density, yeah. right? They, they took it to all you can eat, uh, plans and they didn't take it to performance. Yeah. I understand why they did it, but um, I'm just I'm very suspect here. And you know the 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 story is great that these numbers indicate. It's also I think an important part part for them to say, hey, this is this is why we why you should trust us that our 5G implementation is going to be better than the competition. We're showing you that we're better than the competition today and that that will carry over into 5G. And there have been really, in my mind, no indications from Intel that, that they have even said, hey, we're going to surpass what Qualcomm does in 5G. They're not, they're not being brazen about some of those things. So the idea here then is instead that this is going to carry over from 4G to 5G. This is going to be something that for them is uh, uh, going to take them up through the next decade of network transition. Well, I mean, Qualcomm deserves the benefit of the doubt here. I mean, pretty much nearly show. every technical prediction they've made has come true. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were very clear to say, we will be lower power, we will be higher performance, we will be, have higher reliability, and the last four generations, they have been absolutely correct. Got it. Agreed. Uh, let's quickly touch on a couple of other topics. We've got AMD and Intel earnings. Let's start with AMD. They had uh, another great quarter, record revenue, um, record profit. Let's see, $156 million in profit, highest number for AMD since 2011. Uh, they, which if you remember back in 2011, Patrick, which you probably do, uh, they had a pretty strong like leadership position in desktop and server processors. Then it was kind of at the tail end of it, but they were doing, they were doing pretty well. Um, they claimed 10 to 15 percent growth in Ryzen processors, doubling of Ryzen mobile shipments. Um, not a whole lot of talk on on Radeon. There was the reduction of of Radeon percentages because uh, of the cryptocurrency. You know, just basically market kind of dropping out on itself and went from representing about 10% of AMD's revenue to 6%. But if you take into account that their revenue was higher and that their profit was higher, that's actually, you know, a good sign, right, that they were able to to overcome some of that. It is. And it was all about uh, uncertainty, right? Everybody thought that AMD was just going to collapse due to due to cryptocurrency, and it was just kind of ridiculous. You know, I saw, I saw this quarter as, as an indication of AMD entering a new... Uh, era in their turnaround. And I, I looked at the articles, uh, that the headlines, and again, you can't get everything but the headlines, you know, sure. uh, Market Watch. If you didn't believe in the AMD turnaround before, these earnings should convince you. Was that your article? Yeah. Okay, there we go. <laughs> How about that? I cited you in my there Forbes you article. I didn't even know it was yours. Um, uh, AMD soars more than 14% on stock earnings. AMD uh, Market Watch, another Market Watch. AMD stock closes at highest price in over a decade after best earnings in seven years. So yeah. uh, they're doing really well. And uh, I got the the um, I got the chance to sit uh, with Lisa Sue 
uh, talked to her for about a half an hour after the earnings in, and she is uh, really excited about Epic. And uh, listen, they still have a lot of hills to climb in the they data do. center. Yeah. This is not just about the best product. I mean, there's there's the product, there's the platform, there's the solution, and then there's the marketing and the go-to-market. Intel has every single one of those uh, in place with 98% market share. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, AMD still has a long way uh, to go. Yep. And real quick, last, we'll touch on uh, Intel's earnings. Records everywhere, as you note here, uh, $17 billion revenue in Q2. Memory Group back with Optane. They had uh, every, you noted here, every business unit with gains between 6 and 27%. Pretty right. wide range. Uh, but I think a lot of people expected doom and gloom still right. for Intel after the 10 nanometer stuff, which is still ongoing, right? They didn't suddenly fix this in that quarter. Um, but they, they were a little bit more granular on that, you know, talking about second half of 2019 instead of just 19, 2019. So you could look at that as good news or bad news from that regard. I think some people were hanging on for a first half in that I think many people thought that that Intel was going to be conservative on this. So, by the way, the other thing this means is that uh, Intel data center 10 nanometer products uh, don't come until 2020. Yeah. So that combined with AMD uh, 7 nanometer, I think got investors uh, really excited. All right, so that's going to be it for us for this week. Uh, we will uh, touch back with you guys here in the next week. I'm sure we've got a lot more stuff to talk about. So if you need to uh, find all of our previous episodes, you can get those at thetechanalysts.com, or you can find us on iTunes or Google Play or wherever else you subscribe to podcasts. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.